street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Sunshine, Socrates, and Guaito, Street Epistemology in South Africa. Three months of YouTube had finally led me to this point. I discovered street epistemology after having watched the spectacle that was Anthony Magna Bosco's attempt at teaching SE to Aaron Ra, like a ballet instructor trying to teach a wrestler to pirouette. I had done my homework, watched the tutorials, various practitioners' videos, and even slapped together my own SE toolbox with the aid of some double-sided tape. All I needed to do now was walk up to an actual person and initiate a conversation about their most personal beliefs. No biggie. Finding a location had been my biggest worry since I started entertaining the idea of taking up SE. It seemed to me that my idols in the US had a much better deal than I. In South Africa, or in my town at least, people seem to keep to themselves, only popping into public when they have to. I set out for the Groenkloof Nature Reserve, the closest thing to a well-frequented public park that I knew of in my area, and hoped for the best. The park was beautiful. The environment seemed perfectly suited to deep reflection, as long as you could ignore the quieter rhythmically streaming from parked cars where groups of friends were enjoying the outdoors with a traditional South African braai. The camaraderie was inspiring, until you imagined interjecting yourself into their conversations with what until now seemed to be a simple question. Excuse me, can you spare five minutes to talk about a deeply held belief? I chastised myself as I got back into my car. You're chickening out. I had tried to will myself to approach some of the families in the park, but kept finding excuses not to do so. Not only do you want to cut into this guy's family time, but you want to, him to leave his toddler baking in the sun while he talks to you? You monster! The feat was imminent, but I wasn't ready to give up yet. My mind was racing. This was my first outing into the world of SE, and returning home without even initiating a conversation seemed unbearable. What would Anthony do? Each option that I considered was almost immediately disqualified by the newfound set of requirements I used to discredit the nature reserve. So even though I knew it was late afternoon on a Sunday, and that it was probably wishful thinking that anyone would still be there, I set out for the university campus nearby. Jackpot! I parked close to one of the campus entrances, where students were entering and exiting in drips and drabs. I took up my clipboard, got out of my car, and started walking up to the first person I saw, and passed him without saying a word. Walking straight up to someone just didn't seem right, or at least that's what my stomach that had spontaneously twisted itself into several knots led me to believe. Instead, I took up a spot underneath a jacaranda tree close to the campus entrance and waited for my first candidate. Ntabi was a bright-eyed girl who very cheerfully acquiesced to an interview. I immediately started to relax, which was amazing considering that I imagined my greeting spontaneously collapsing to the gravity I had attributed to this moment. Jesus Christ as the one true God was the topic of discussion. The hours on YouTube seemed to pay off as our conversation identified God's guidance as the foundation for her belief, 
as exemplified by her having the opportunity to enroll to university, a first in her family. Our conversation was pleasant. At various times she would pause at my questions, and she had no qualms with responding with an I don't know. After asking her what would change her mind, and she coming to the realization that even when hardship befell her, she would consider it a reason to enforce the belief, I was happy to thank her for her time and send her on her way. My next interlocutor, TK, was a snappily dressed first year student who put his belief in God at 80% on the confidence scale, with how he was raised being his main reason for believing. After an interesting conversation where he explained that he would be enticed by a religion that was closer to his values, but that he would still find it difficult to abandon the religion of his parents for reasons unknown, we parted with some homework to try and discern why he would be hesitant. Next up was Jim, with a belief in the importance of kindness. He was kind enough to share that he had reached the lowest point in his life the prior year. This made him realize the importance of empathy and kindness to others, since you do not know what they might be going through. Although this was a very interesting conversation, it was tough, since this was a belief that I shared with him. His belief seemed to be well founded. He scoffed slightly at the question, can kindness be a bad thing? But identified circumstances where kindness can be taken advantage of. At the end of the conversation, he stated that even though he still believes in its importance, he acknowledges that it should be applied in context to any given situation. The next interlocutor, Emily, was extremely hesitant to speak to me when I mentioned the topic of the interview. I saw this as an opportunity and suggested that we could discuss the statement, it is bad to discuss your beliefs. She hesitantly decided that she would rather discuss her belief in God. From the outset, it seemed to me as if Emily approached the conversation as a situation where she had to defend her faith. Her epistemology was confusing. But after some discussion, we eventually agreed upon stating it as trust in God that provides you with a conviction whereby you know that the Bible is true. I struggled to point out the circular reasoning of this statement and was frustrated to discover how many other logical fallacies were layered on top of it. After she found reason after reason to dismiss any conclusion apart from the Christian God using the same mechanism, I considered Emily to be doxastically closed. She was relieved when I finally released her from a trial of faith and we parted ways amicably. Finally, there was Sufiso, an engineering student who unceremoniously pegged his confidence in the Bible and Christianity at 20%. I was immediately intrigued by his low confidence and instead of asking him why he was still at 20%, I inquired as to his reason for the low confidence. He expressed his theory that the Christian religion might be a mechanism of suppression forced on Africans by colonialists. He also expressed that due to the Bible originating in the Middle East and its seeming indifference to Africa, he struggled to reconcile some of its contents with reality. I really appreciate Sufiso's honesty, open-mindedness and consideration towards his beliefs. He had mentioned earlier in the conversation that the natural world seemed to him to be evidence of some God. He said that he still read the Bible, attended church and prayed to God to reveal his true nature to him, which prompted me to present him with a thought experiment. What if 
when he was done with his studies, his thirst for truth led him around the world, investigating the claims of each religion. And what if, after his journey, he came to discover that none of the world's religions correlated to reality to such a degree that it would satisfy him? His answer surprised me. I would go back to my culture, to my Zulu roots. I would pray to my forefathers and sacrifice goats to them. I asked him why he would do so. Because if none of these religions gave me a culture, a place to belong, I would have to go back to find a place to belong. The sentiment was touching and heartbreaking at the same time. This concluded our talk and Sofiso jumped at the opportunity to ask me about my beliefs. I explained that I do not believe in any God, and that I couldn't see a reason to do so until I was provided with evidence, an approach which he found interesting. I took the opportunity to suggest Bart Ehrman's videos to him, explaining that it provides useful insights into the origins of the New Testament. He accepted the suggestion enthusiastically, writing Bart Ehrman on his arm for lack of a piece of paper. Note to self, print some damn cards. He then stated that he would also like to conduct these interviews, leaving me no other choice but to give him my number and inviting him to get into contact with me if he was interested in more resources or further discussion. My number two was enthusiastically scribbled onto his arm, and we parted ways with both of us smiling ear to ear. I couldn't have hoped for a better outcome. The experience left me feeling fulfilled and eager for more. Driving home, I had to stop myself from pulling over and starting up more conversations, satisfied to end on the high note that was my talk with Sufisu. I was hesitant to approach SE in South Africa. I didn't know how South Africans would react to questions that could so easily be perceived as intrusive. I am pleased to report that this was not the case at all. Even when approaching potential interlocutors, I had a success rate of 1 in 2 at initiating a conversation. So concludes the diary of my first steps in street epistemology. I hope to have many more adventures exploring beliefs, with the sincere hope that no goats are harmed in the process. Ben is a software developer and SE enthusiast from South Africa who hopes that the promotion of critical thinking can save the world. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.